A couple of weeks ago, I was um, clearing some brush and cutting up uh, some fallen trees with my nifty, expensive steel chainsaw. The chain loosened up on me, which is not good when you're using a chainsaw, so I made my way uh, back up the long driveway to get my bar wrench to tighten the chain back down. I was halfway back, having set my chainsaw down on the ground, I was halfway back when a pickup truck whipped into the driveway. The guy jumped out of the cab and ran over and grabbed my chainsaw. My exact response, I was just horrified. I, saw, I had a shot of adrenaline, and I shouted, hey, put that down, and I started running toward this guy who was holding my nifty, expensive steel chainsaw. And I was angry, of course. I mean, this guy was so brazenly stealing my stuff when I was only about 100 feet away from him. But I suppose I was a little frightened, too. I was witnessing a crime, after all. And what was I going to do when I caught up with this guy who jumped into his truck before he jumped in and sped off? What what was I going to do? But I didn't really think about it. Frightened or not, this guy was ripping me off of my expensive nifty steel chainsaw, and I was going to stop him. On the first Easter Sunday, a group of women went to the tomb of Jesus to finish the work of preparing his body for burial a service that had been interrupted with the arrival of the Sabbath that previous Friday. And they must have been grappling with a torrent of emotions as they made their journey to that tomb. But they were about to be swept away by the granddaddy of all emotions, fear. We're reading from Mark's gospel account of the resurrection, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. When Mary Magdalene and the other women walked to the tomb of Jesus that morning, their lives had been devastated. Jesus, their beloved friend, their beloved rabbi, was suddenly and cruelly dead, killed by the religious leaders who had had it out for him since he began his earthly ministry. His teaching, his authority, his power to heal people and cast out evil spirits. No one had ever seen anything like this. But now these brave women who had stood at the foot of the cross of Jesus, who had watched him as he breathed his last, now they trudged to the tomb in the early morning hours of that Sunday. And it's hard to imagine the degree of their utter hopeless despair. Have you ever been in such a place? 
But when they arrived, they found that the huge rock that had been used to cover the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. And the, the body that had been inside had been, it was gone. They, they looked inside and they saw some guy in dazzling white garments. He was an angel. Anytime you see a dazzling guy in white garments, it's an angel. Just count on it. And the guy gave them incredible news. He said, Jesus isn't here. He is arisen. This man who ten, two days ago was dead as dead could be was now inexplicably, incredibly, unbelievably alive again. Jesus was alive. This actually shouldn't have been such a surprise to them because Jesus said this was going to happen. He said it many times. He told his disciples he was going to be betrayed, arrested, tortured, killed, but that his father was going to raise him up on the third day. Many times he said so. And so a reasonable response from Mary when she heard this might have been to say, of course he's raised from the dead. I, my grief took, got the best of me, but of course he told me this is what he was going to do. Jesus is alive, just as he promised. But whether they remembered that or not, what would have been an appropriate response to this incredible news? This news that your beloved dead rabbi, the greatest man you had ever known, the man who performed great miracles, the man who taught great parables, the man who did great battle with evil, what would have been your response to hear that he was now wondrously alive again? What would you expect? Shouts of joy, tears of joy, dances of joy, songs of joy, hugs of joy. How do you think you would have responded to this wonderful news? Well, here's how they responded. Verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Have you ever been so terrified that you actually shook, your body shook? I have. It is not pleasant. There are seven different Greek words in this one sentence that I just read that describe terror. They fled, they trembled, they were astonished, they were seized by emotions, they were stunned into silence. And all of these paralyzing, numbing, muting feelings are summed up in the last words of the verse when we read, for they were afraid. Fear is the most powerful of emotions. Why do I say so? Because the most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Fear not. That's the command that we hear more than any other command in all of Holy Scripture. Fear not. We hear it from God. We hear it from angels. We hear it from prophets. Fear not. We heard it from the psalmist. We hear it from the Apostle Paul. We heard it from Jesus himself. Fear not. Do not be afraid. In fact, that command appears more than 150 times in the Bible. Fear not. It's almost like God thought this was important. <laughs> that this might be useful to us. Fear not. Fear is the most powerful emotion that we battle with. 
Now we, we might say, wait a second, what, isn't love greater than fear? In the Bible, love is not an emotion. In the Bible, love is a verb. It is an action. It is a choice. It is a gift. And according to Paul, love is the greatest of all spiritual gifts that God gives to his people. But the strongest emotion, the one with which we must battle daily, is the emotion of fear. Now, sometimes that fear is rational. If you're running toward a guy who's stealing your nifty, expensive steel chainsaw, a smart part of you might be a little afraid of what you're going to do if you catch him. If you're climbing up on your roof, as I was two weeks ago, a smart part of you might insist that your wife foot the ladder so that it doesn't slip out from under you. We call that prudence, not fear. That is wise. It is sane. But there's another kind of fear. It is the irrational kind. The kind of fear that doesn't make sense. The kind of fear that blows up a threat into something worse than it is. The kind of fear that spins out a variety of scenarios, chooses the worst possible outcome, and then just stews in those juices for a while. My personal favorite, by the way. (laughs) Or there's the kind of fear in someone who discovers the greatest miracle the world has ever seen, the resurrection of someone from death to life, and who trembles and flees and goes silent. And that is the kind of fear that God says he does not wish us to entertain. That is the kind of fear that paralyzes us and gives us ulcers and makes us do crazy stuff. That is the fear that makes us suspicious and isolated and paranoid and overwhelmed. And that is the kind of fear that has gripped our world in this last year. The entire world. You know, not even world wars brought this kind of universal terror to the entire world. There were always parts of the world that were not affected by the wars. But not since the Spanish flu of 1918 has humanity been united in a common terror of one enemy. And there was good reason for us to be alarmed. It was prudent. 124 million people have been infected with covid 2.7 million people have died, including half a million Americans. It is a bad, bad bug. It deserved our attention. It deserved our sacrifice. It deserved our prudence. And we have been prudent. We here at Chapel Hill have been prudent. We wear masks. We remain socially distant. We sanitize after every service. We stopped food service. We limited occupancy. We hosted testing sites. We hosted vaccine sites. I want to order a t-shirt that says, I got shot twice, because I want everyone to know I've had my vaccines. All of these things seem prudent based upon what we knew. I'm not talking about prudence, but I am talking about fear. Many of us are continuing to live in a state of real fear. So when does prudence turn to fear? And when can we stop being afraid? I think this virus has created a confusing industry of fear. We don't know what to believe. We don't know what to be afraid of. Wear a mask? No, wear two masks. Get your vaccine? No, get two vaccines. No, get no vaccines. 
Stay six feet apart? No, stay three feet apart. Achieve herd immunity? Uh-oh, here come the variants. Things will be normal by July 4th. No, things will be normal by the sum, end of the summer. No, not until 2022. Things will never be normal. And so our reasonable prudence gets whipped into a frothy fear. And I have seen it again and again in the eyes of people that I pass on the streets and in the stores, a sense of fear, of isolation, of pulling back, of suspicion. And so I'll ask it again. When can we stop being afraid? If you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in heaven, if you think this life is the only one we have, then your fear makes perfect sense. Timothy Keller once wrote, why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones? It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. If you think that when you breathe your last on this earth that you are done, fini, it's over, well then you probably ought to do everything you can to prolong those breaths. You ought to be afraid. But if you believe in Jesus, I don't understand that fear. I don't understand that fear. Prudence, yes. Fear, no. It's like the women at the tomb. They've just been told the greatest news they could ever imagine. Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered death. And yet they are terrified. Apparently you can hear about the resurrection... Maybe even believe in the resurrection and still live in fear? Does that describe you? That moment in the garden tomb reminds us why the Lord commands us 150 plus times to fear not. Because fear creeps in, sneaks up, chases away sanity. It chases away faith. Easter is a call from fear to faith. Ultimately, these women who came to the tomb, they did believe. Ultimately, they sat at the feet of Jesus for the 40 days that he remained on earth. They, they stood on the Mount of Olives as Jesus was lifted back up into the heavens. They gathered together in an upper room when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and empowered them to go out with this message of fearless faith to the entire world. Ultimately, they move from fear to faith. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we as a people move from fear to faith? I want to return to my opening story. As I ran closer to that guy who had my chainsaw in his hands, he quickly set it down at the side of the driveway. And then I realized that this was the workman that I had scheduled to come and help me. I recognized him. I knew him. And so I kept running towards him, but now I was laughing and feeling like an idiot instead of shouting and palpitating. He had picked up my saw because he didn't want to run over it. He was looking out for me. The way that we move from fear to faith 
is to focus on Jesus, not on our circumstances. To learn to see him, to recognize him, to look for him. Even in our scariest, most uncertain times. Fear always comes because we stop recognizing that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is in control. That he is present even in our most frightening moments. But when we focus on Christ, on who he is, on what he's doing, on how he's looking out for us and protecting our best interests, even when we don't recognize him at first, it is then that we begin to live in faith instead of fear. Have you ever imagined what it might be to live a life of fear, of fearlessness? To know that this life isn't the end for you? That there's going to be a new resurrected world in which you're going to have a new resurrected body. That everything in your life is part of God's plan for you. And in the end, it's going to be good because Jesus is in control. You can have that kind of freedom from fear when you place your faith in the resurrected Christ. And there might be some of you this morning who are here and are guests, maybe... You have never done that. You've never said, Jesus, I need to entrust my life to you. What better day than resurrection morning for you to move from faith to fear by receiving the gift of this Christ. So I'm going to ask all of you, as a courtesy, close your eyes, bow your heads. And if that describes you, if you would say, I've never really surrendered my life to Christ, I'm still kind of living in fear, This is my prayer for you. Listen and repeat in your heart silently what I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, I am tired of living in fear. I'm afraid of a lot of things. My health, my finances, my relationships, my career, my future, my life. There are so many things that I'm afraid of. And I realize in this moment that this is all about control. It's because I insist on being the Lord of my own life rather than entrusting it to you who can do something about it. So I, I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for the idolatry of my self-control. Forgive me for clinging to life in this way because I don't believe that there's something more and better beyond. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to be the Lord, resurrected one. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to take away my sin. I ask you to take away my fear. I ask you to make me new and fresh and hopeful. I ask you to do that now. In Jesus' name. Now keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask a favor. If you prayed that prayer for the first time where you invited Jesus to take control of your life. No one's looking around. Would you slip your hand up? I just want to see your hand. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. And then I want to continue in prayer for those of us who say we know Jesus, we believe in the resurrection, and yet we find ourselves struggling with fear. Would you pray along with me right now? Lord, Even though I know you, even though I believe in you, I realize that I am living in fear. 
that I'm not really trusting you to care for me. I'm not really trusting you to protect me. That I'm living as if this life is all there is. Forgive me. Lord, you commanded me to not be afraid. You would not command me to do something that I am not able to do. And so I choose faith over fear by the power of your Spirit alive in me. I choose to see you, to believe you are here right in the midst of my frightening circumstances. I choose faith over fear in the name of and in the power of the resurrected Christ. services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. Light of the world by darkness slain, then 